according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. <clears throat> a new earth without seed or season. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can uh, turn to Philippians 1 once again. As we get started, we introduced this on Sunday, and uh, we'll get right back to it tonight. We also have question and answer time. <clears throat> My question is, is, anybody feel like preaching tonight? <laughs> Actually, I feel better than I sound, so that's consolation, I suppose. Let's open the word of prayer and uh, ask the Father to bless our time together, shall we pray? Father, we do come before you tonight thankful for your truth, asking for your blessing upon our time and everything that you would have taught. Father, feed us and equip us, we thank you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. And our first question tonight comes all the way from uh, Australia. We had uh, somebody listening to Sunday morning's message about the the 30 men that were selected to uh, uh, assist Ebed uh, Melech in rescuing Jeremiah out of the cistern, out of the well. And uh, I had suggested that there was a connection there related to David's mighty men. There were 30 mighty men. And um, the question was asked, well, might there also be a uh, connection with the 30 pieces of silver that were paid to uh, Judas Iscariot for the betrayal of Jesus? So um, offhand, I can't say that I can think of a connection there, but I will chew on it and give it some consideration. The, the, uh, the link with the Davidic content though is clear i think because uh of as we spoke of uh the references to the miry clay uh being lifted out of a pit psalm 40 psalm 69 those things that david wrote about jeremiah was living and uh, all of which pointed forward to christ and 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 his affliction so anyway that's uh the first question there other questions that we may handle here tonight microphone ready to go Going once, going twice. Okay, well then, uh, Philippians chapter 1. I read the first uh, seven verses on Sunday just to uh, fix our bearings and to kind of encourage consideration about where we're going to be here shortly uh, in introducing not just Philippians, but introducing all the prison epistles. And... um, We uh, note the imprisonment in verse 7. It is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel you are all partakers of grace with me. And so there's two things there. And the Philippians are sharing both. The imprisonment and also the ministry. Because the word of God is not in prison and Paul's not stopping his ministry just because he's in prison. And the Philippians get to be partakers. And they're partakers in prayer. They're partakers in, in money. They're partakers in people and the messengers that get sent to uh, to meet Paul's needs. And so uh, I, I just want to highlight that. Now, in my imprisonment, <clears throat> the traditional understanding is that this is his Roman imprisonment, the one that begins in Acts 28. 
and the one that's spoken of in the last chapter of the book of Acts. And that's the traditional view for the writing of Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and uh, in Philemon. Uh, I'm going to take the time in introducing this to show you that there are other views besides the, the traditional Roman view. There's a Caesarean imprisonment. And there's also, I believe, an Ephesian imprisonment. And that's the one I'm going to defend as we introduce the book and relate the multiple uh, imprisonments that, that Paul goes through. All right. So on Sunday, we began by an introduction to the prison epistles by comparing the book of Acts with Paul's writings. And what we've learned is that Luke leaves out a lot of stuff, um, not just here and there. But consistently, he leaves out a lot of stuff. And we're going to find a common thread. Uh, it won't take long. By the time we get through the, the first missionary journey and the second missionary journey and the third missionary journey, it should be painfully obvious um, the kind of things Paul uh, that Luke is omitting. All right? And so a study on, Luke, on Luke's omissions versus Paul's admissions uh, becomes useful for us because it's going to include the imprisonments. It's going to include the multiple imprisonments that Paul faced that Luke did not record. And uh, we want to try to consider which of those might also be eligible points of origin for the prison epistles, given the fact that he's writing to Philippi, he's writing to, to Colossae, and he has a personal letter to Philemon, which is also being sent to Colossae. And so uh, just geographically, what makes better sense for the sending of those letters. Also for the messengers that are going back and forth. It's, it's huge for us to realize that they weren't, they weren't texting each other, right? They weren't uh, fiddling with their phones in Bible class or anything like that, all right? And if, if they needed to get word back and forth, that meant feet walking, right? Uh, or ships sailing, uh, or feet walking, either human feet or mule feet or camel feet or horse feet or something. Um, nothing News didn't travel until someone carried that scroll, carried that message. And uh, that's, by the way, that's going to be huge in the book of Philippians because there are multiple trips back and forth that are described in chapter 2. And such with the distance and the time uh, that to me it seems to rule out Rome as a possibility. And so that's something that we'll have to, uh, we'll have to look at. All right. <clears throat> so the purpose of this study is to harmonize where we can and then to leave the rest as disharmony. Uh, I think the, uh, the early epistles, Galatians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and Romans. Okay? Those six epistles are before any of the prison epistles. And I think we can harmonize them very well with what Luke records in the, the travels and the, the journeys that Paul undertakes. And then the, uh, the prison epistles. Likewise, I think we can harmonize those pretty well. Where we uh, don't, or we're not able to, to fit, are the, are the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Um, I think it's much better to put them after Acts 28 and, uh, and, and not try to fit them within the, the framework that is the book of Acts. We'll talk about that as well. So uh, statements that uh, we, we glean from Paul that are not recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. So Sunday morning we ought to start on this. We looked at uh, the geographic travels. 
his journey from Jerusalem to Damascus, and this is where he's going to arrest Christians. He's going to bring them under arrest, haul them back to Jerusalem to put them on trial. Okay, Uh, Not a legal trial, of course, not a political trial. The Romans would have nothing to do with any of this, but a religious trial in front of the Sanhedrin. Keep that in mind because much of Paul's afflictions are the same thing. Jewish people, they don't like his preaching. And so they want to put him on trial. And they want to stop his preaching. Which is what he was doing in in Acts chapter 9. When you go through the narrative of Acts chapter 9, Luke does not reveal Paul's departure for Arabia. And he does not reveal the return to Damascus. And so uh, we learned about that in our Galatians series, in Galatians chapter 1. All right? And so it's diagrammed with a map like that that shows that he left Damascus, went off to Arabia, spent about three years there, and then returned back to uh, Damascus. That's not in Luke chapter 9. It's omitted from Luke's account. I had a second point, and I need to cross this off, um, because Luke does reveal the uh, the window basket escape. And it is revealed in Acts chapter 9. So that is not an appropriate example as far as Luke's omission is concerned. All right? And we're also going to look at this diagram from time to time, and uh, which graphically represents uh, everything we're going to be talking about. <clears throat> the journey to Damascus, the basket, the trip to Arabia. By the way, I would swap those around. All right? I believe that the basket escape was later. That the basket escape was necessary because after he went to Arabia and had his seminary training under under Jesus Christ, he came back to Damascus. And then he was teaching in such a powerful way that the Jews wanted him to stop, and they tried to put him under arrest. I feel sorry for you guys. Are you all right? All right. So we're going to follow this. If I need a refill of my coffee, I'll just uh, beg and plead. (laughs) All right. Example two, the Saul of Tarsus, Tarsus ministry. And I deliberately doubled Tarsus on that slide because it's the Saul of Tarsus, Tarsus ministry. And uh, from 37 to about 41 or so, for about four years, uh, he had ministry in his hometown. He had ministry in Tarsus. And so um, what's not recorded there is what we learned about in 2 Corinthians was his rapture and his thorn in the flesh event that they happened about this time, somewhere around 38, 39, uh, maybe 37, 14 years prior to the writing of, of 2 Corinthians. And so, again, we follow on the map. He went from Damascus down to Jerusalem, and this is where Barnabas steps up and shows grace. Barnabas says, hey, let's accept him. And, uh, and then after that, they uh, said, okay, we accept you. We like you. Just... Uh, Leave town, please. <laughs> All right? And uh, they put him on a ship, sent him off to Tarsus, and he's out of sight, out of mind for about four years. All right? Until the Gentile ministry takes off in Antioch and Barnabas realizes, I need to go get Paul. I need help in this. And so that's what he does. <clears throat> but now our second example. And I think these are pretty big. You know, Three years in Arabia, 
being trained by Jesus Christ. That's pretty big. That Paul did not receive his gospel message from man, but he was taught from the Lord. That's huge. But Luke doesn't record it in the book of Acts. Likewise, a thorn in the flesh. Luke doesn't record it in the book of Acts. Example three. We haven't even gotten to a missionary journey yet. <laughs> okay, Paul's done a lot of traveling, but we don't call any of those travels a missionary journey. All right, we have considerable crowds called Christians in the narrative of Acts 11 that talks about this. And as far as an omission is concerned, uh, in, in this, Luke is not recording a missionary journey, but he's recording the founding of a logistical base, a headquarters. They're setting up a, uh, a training center and a headquarters for missionary journeys. And Antioch is going to be the headquarters. It's going to send out these travels. Going to send out Paul's first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, and the missionary journey that that Barnabas takes after Barnabas and Paul split ways. And so, uh, founding of a base. And, and and this is, I think, important as you look at Acts 11 and see this as the pattern here. And this introduces Antioch to our map work. And we see where Antioch is located there. Antioch was one of the five leading cities of the early church. Jerusalem, Antioch, Rome, Constantinople, and Ephesus, right? Those major cities. And uh, the ones in the east get conquered by Islam. And the ones in the west, Rome uh, becomes dominant. All right. But keep this in mind because we're going to see something on that third missionary journey. Paul moves his headquarters to Ephesus. Ephesus becomes the training center. Ephesus becomes the launching pad for missionary journeys that gets churches started. Colossae wouldn't be a church if it wasn't for the headquarters set up there at Ephesus. And then the missionary journeys that then were launched from there as well. So keep that in mind. Our fourth example, Agabus. Agabus went to Antioch and preached an apocalypse. (laughs) He uttered a revelation. And the revelation was a famine is coming to Jerusalem. And so what happens here, let's go to Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. And we have a pattern here that's going to be replicated later. It's going to actually take center stage in Paul's thinking. Acts 11.27 Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that a great famine all over the world uh, there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, pay attention to this, it comes up again. In the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, notice, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So what do we learn from this? This is not a missionary journey, but it is a ministry. It is a financial ministry. 
And it is a grace blessing from one local church to another. So uh, in this narrative, Luke does record, not a missionary journey, but a financial ministry from one local church to another. And you notice that this was voluntary. It was proportional as any had means. It was on their free will. They didn't have to. And there wasn't a pope ordering them to do this or any kind of denominational hierarchy. But it was a voluntary contribution. And this pattern we're going to see later because it's going to happen again. And the Macedonian churches and Corinth and the Galatian churches, Ephesians, the Ephesus church, all of these uh, congregations are going to put a fund together and send it to Jerusalem. And it really is a dominant theme for Paul. Dominant because it gets mentioned in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, all have reference to this, this fund that they're putting together. And Luke doesn't breathe the word of it. Luke doesn't breathe the word of it uh, after this event right here. So when you consider the purpose for Luke, it's his purpose to record such a thing. He does so here, and he doesn't feel necessary to repeat that again and again and again every time that it happens. But it does happen again. Same thing with the, the imprisonments. Same thing with the shipwreck. <clears throat> Luke doesn't feel necessary to write down every time that it happens. He records one shipwreck. There were multiple shipwrecks. He records a night in jail in Philippi. There were multiple imprisonments, not just an overnight stay in uh, getting the Philippian jailer saved the next morning, right? Um, there were multiple imprisonments. It's not, Luke's impri- it's not Luke's purpose to write a complete catalog of all Paul's sufferings, okay? And so he gives an example and then he lets it go. Does not give repeated examples more often than not. And that's a pattern we want to pay attention to as we see it. Also, Luke does not reveal Titus's participation. When you read through those verses, you don't see Titus anywhere, do you? But in uh, Galatians 2, what do we find out? Titus was there. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 2. Lost Galatians. There it is. Spent two and a half years teaching Galatians over 230 hours of teaching and I can't find it anymore. Uh, Galatians 2.1 After an interval of 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along also. Because of a revelation that I went up. It was because of an apocalypsis I went up. That's why I call this the Agabus Antioch Apocalypse. And I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Now since he was in town anyway, since he delivered the funds anyway, now he's got an opportunity to fellowship with his fellow apostles. And he submits his gospel approach. And I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. And not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And there was a conflict there because he had brought a Gentile with him. And uh, there were false brethren, secretly brought in, sneaked in to spy out liberty. None of that happens. None of that's recorded in Acts chapter 11. 
He does, though, mention the addition of John Mark. All right, so <clears throat> it's not that he's opposed to mentioning travel companions. He does. He mentions John Mark. Uh, he'll mention, obviously, Timothy has center stage in, in the book of Acts. Um, but Titus does not. Titus gets ignored quite often. This, too, has led to some of the legends and traditions that Luke and Titus were brothers uh, because Luke does not record his own name in the book of Acts. Luke leaves himself anonymous in the book of Acts. And uh, Luke only shows up in the we passages, right? When all of the third person they becomes first person we in the book of Acts. And so because Luke fails to record his own name, um, it then becomes a guess or a speculation that he's also omitting Titus's name because allegedly Luke and Titus were brothers, Gentile brothers. All of that is, is myth and speculation and probably not true if Luke was a Jew of the priestly line and if Luke wrote the book of Hebrews the way that uh, certain authors are defending now. Be that as it may. <clears throat> Luke also does not record Peter's visit to Antioch. It talks about how they finished their visit, they went back to Antioch, they took John Mark with them. Uh, by this time, though, we get to the end of chapter 12. Acts 12 and verse 25. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. So John Mark accompanies them from Jerusalem. Okay, He was a nephew of Barnabas. He was the daughter of Mary that had a, a prayer meeting going on here in, in this chapter. And he goes with them to Antioch. And he'll be their, their helper for missionary journey number one. Luke does not record Peter's visit to Antioch and the face-to-face opposition Paul presented there. We studied it at quite some length in uh, the Galatians series, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. All right. And we're familiar with that. Do I need to read that chapter? Maybe I should get a microphone and have a volunteer read Bible verses tonight. That's all right. You're familiar with Galatians chapter 2. And he opposed him to his face. He was a hypocrite and he stood condemned. And even Barnabas was carried away by the hypocrisy. So it's a pretty ugly event. And Luke doesn't give a hint of it in the book of in the book of Acts, okay? Not consistent with his purpose not consistent with the design for the book of Acts, and not necessary as, uh, as Luke finished his book. That's our fourth example. All right, our fifth example. Now we finally get to a missionary journey. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> and we have basically uh, two chapters, chapter 13 and chapter 14 called the first missionary journey. I put it in quotes because Paul's done a lot of traveling, right? And uh, prior to this, but he's just now, uh, um, the Holy Spirit sets them apart and they've got a work to do. And it gets identified here. Now you'll notice in verse one, look at all the teachers they have. This is the headquarters they set up. Remember, they were there for an entire year, not part of a year, an entire year. And they were building up the believers. 
And they've got a lot of teachers here. Prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, and Lucius and Manan, and uh, Saul. All right? And you've got a team of, of teachers. Now two of them are going to be set apart. So while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And uh, so they set, they set off. Now, a number of things are going to happen here. In chapter 13 and chapter 14, you'll notice, when they're done and they come back, at the end of chapter 14, where do they go? They return back to Antioch. Chapter 14 and verse 26. And they sailed back to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them. See, a missionary report, it is appropriate. All right? It's, uh, it's not a Sunday to skip church because the pastor's not preaching. It's a missionary report. And it's valid. And it's, it's a great encouragement as it happens. So they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. All right? And so you can read through these chapters and get the details of the missionary journey. Some things, though, that Luke omits in these chapters. And and they're not necessarily Pauline admissions, but they kind of are. Later on, when Paul has positive things to say about John Mark. Maybe a better label for the first missionary journey, we could think of it as the Barnabas and Saul Cyprus tour. <laughs> okay? Because there's no question Barnabas is the leader as they get started. He does consistently Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, consistently throughout the first half of this missionary journey. And it's not until at the end of the Cyprus portion <clears throat> that they actually have some fruit that's born. Um with a Gentile named Paul. <laughs> and uh, so it's curious. There is a proprietor here. And uh, as you note it, um, in 1313, well, the proconsul prior to that, Okay, verse 7. The proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. This is the highest ranking politician that that Paul speaks to early in his ministry. All right? And it has an impact. And I think it's this event where Saul of Tarsus decides that he's going to go by the name of Paul. Anyway, uh, verse 9, Then Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and the ministry that happens there. Now, notice what happens in verse 13. Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos. Well, wait a minute. You know, it's like you're reading along an adventure book and, and you're reading the adventures of the Lone Ranger and Tonto. And then after a particular conflict, and then we read that Tonto and his companions 
you know, went somewhere else. Well, what happened to the Lone Ranger? Why does Tonto get top billing now? How did this switch? Why? And uh, Luke doesn't give us the, the why. He just, um, without explanation, starts writing that way. Starts writing about Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And uh, fails to give a detailed explanation. And so um, some of the background of the prison epistles will be critical of uh, different theories like the Ephesians authorship. Um, And they will say, well, Luke didn't give those kind of details. I don't think that's a problem at all. It's not an objection in any respect because Luke very frequently does not give all the details that we would otherwise want to have. Luke is uh, ambiguous regarding the departure of John Mark. And in 13.13, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Well, that's pretty basic, you know? So they set out from sea, from Paphos. They came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Why? (laughs) What were they arguing about? What was the issue? doesn't say. We get a little bit of a hint later on when they they fight about it. Paul doesn't want to take him on the second missionary journey because he felt abandoned. And he used the word abandoned. That John Mark had abandoned them on the first journey. In fact, we can, it's in the first part of chapter 16 or last part of chapter 15 here. Last part of chapter 15. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord, see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Well, he did all the Cyprus work. He just didn't do the Galatians work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And so now Antioch is sending out two missionary teams, sending out the the Barnabas team with uh, John Mark as a, trainee, and sending out Luke, or sending out, sorry, Paul with uh, Silas as his partner. And they're very quickly going to grab Timothy. In fact, first order of business in chapter 16 is the addition of Timothy to their team. That Paul is heading the team, he has a right-hand deputy, and he has a young man in training. And that's going to become his pattern. So Luke is ambiguous regarding the departure of John Mark. Uh, does not explain the Saul and Paul name change. Does not explain the second billing status that Barnabas is given thereafter. You know, Hollywood stars get really bent up over this. You know, you go to the movie and whose name shows up on the marquee? Whose name shows up in the credits? You know, is it the great big Humphrey Bogart? You know, and Lauren Bacall or whatever. You know, do you put them side by side with equal equal billing? And even side by side, one of them's got to be named first. Why does Barnabas get second billing now? Also, um, Luke omits it and Paul omits it. Uh, neither chooses to record a correlation between Acts 14.48 and 
and the writing of Galatians, all right? But I feel confident in that <clears throat> Acts 14:48. Uh, they gave their report. They stayed a long time. And uh, they gave the report to the church about all the things that God had done with them. And they spent a long time with the disciples. And then footnote, write your own note in there. And during this long time, Paul wrote Galatians. Okay? And this uh, coincides with the early date for Galatians that I think agrees perfectly with Paul's shock in Galatians chapter 1 that they were so quickly abandoning grace for the legalism that, that had followed. And it has to precede the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. The idea that they have that conference in Acts 15 where they hash out circumcision and legalism and all these things, if that conference was done and Paul had a copy of a letter signed by James himself, he could have sent that to Galatians instead of his own letter and said, here, we talked about this in, in Jerusalem and all those Judaizers need to drop dead. <laughs> okay, But he doesn't. He writes the book of Galatians. And we have six chapters of addressing that issue of legalism. The issue that is then discussed in, uh, by the apostles in Acts 15. But this is a Luke omission. This is a Paul omission. Nowhere in any of Paul's epistles does it say where he was when he wrote it. Okay? That's all of that is all, and we know Paul wrote it, is the first word of every Pauline epistle is Paul. <laughs> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, you know, to the church at, and uh, everything else that then grace be unto you in peace, right? That's how Paul starts his letters. But he doesn't say, by the way, um, I'm writing to you from Antioch in the autumn of 49 AD. We would like that. It would be helpful for us in our homework, but Holy Spirit didn't write the Bible that way. So we have to put these things together ourselves. And I think we need to be gracious towards other people that have maybe slightly different schemes. Okay? None of it's really worth fighting over with the I think the possible exception of the, the, uh, the preterists that insist on putting Revelation uh, in the 60s before the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, that I think is significant. That Revelation was written in 96 AD after the destruction of Jerusalem. And the prophecies are future to the, to the tribulation. That, that is worth fighting over, okay? Even amongst friends. We'll, we'll, we'll fight in a grace way related to that. All right. <clears throat> this is my first slide to feature the uh, scripture writing icon, which d doesn't click yet or do anything. It just jogs my memory. And it goes with the yellow text for Galatians to remind me that we're talking about the authorship of these books and, and where the writing of these books took place, as best as we can, best as we can figure. Likewise, on the tile, on the t diagram here, um, we get past some of these things. Here we go. Here's the first missionary journey. And this would be similar to the maps in the back of your Bible. Uh, this would be similar to the maps 
I put on the screen. It's really a boomerang-shaped journey. And it's extraordinary. Um, okay, we get sailing to Cyprus and then crossing the island east to west and then sailing from Paphos on the western part of the island going up to the coast there at Perga. Perga, by the way, is when John Mark abandoned him. And if he was going to return to Jerusalem, might have been smarter to not get on that ship and sail to Perga. But anyway, he did. <coughs> North of Antioch, Notice, two Antiochs. Is that confusing? See? Antioch, Antioch. So, this one is the one that we normally talk about when we talk about Antioch. Uh, This one is sometimes called Pisidian Antioch, based upon the Pisidian region. Okay? Anyway. Antiochus the Great was pretty proud of himself, and uh, a lot of Greeks named their city Antioch because of Antiochus. Um, it is noteworthy, though. Antioch, and then Iconium, Lystra, Derby, in that order. Iconium, Lystra, Derby. Those are the Galatian cities. When we study the book of Galatians, we're studying Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And uh, they're going to come up again and again and again. On the first missionary journey, second missionary journey. All right. This is where Timothy grows up. This is where Paul is stoned, dragged out of the city as if dead, and then he's resurrected and goes back in the city the next morning. Now, uh, if it was me, and I had just left Derby, having been stoned and resurrected, and I wanted to go back to Antioch and tell them all about it. I would just keep going east. There's a good Roman road there. Um, in between Derby and Tarsus is a very famous uh, gates, the Cilician Gates, a mountain pass through the Taurus Mountains that take you down into Tarsus. His hometown, he's got logistical supply there. He pastored there for a number of years. And then from there over to Antioch, another Roman road through another mountain pass. But he doesn't do that. The about face in Derby is, is, is interesting because he has to go back to Lystra. He has to go back to Iconium. He has to show the, um, he has to show the overcoming. He has to show the obedience to God in persecution. And what they did to him in Derby, he has to go back and, and teach them and encourage them in Lystra and in Iconium. Back to Antioch, back to Perga, back on a ship and sailing back to, to Antioch. It's an interesting missionary journey. Likewise, the map here is similar. You have the arrows, you have the, the boomerang pattern on the, uh, the missionary journey. <clears throat> I like this map a lot. A lot of times in the back of your Bibles to save space, um, they will overlay the first and second missionary journey on the same map. And, and that gets crowded. It gets complicated, and I don't like it. So um, I found separate maps <laughs> to show much of the same geography, but to have cleaner arrows and diagrams and whatnot. All right. Um,
I'm not going to read two chapters to you tonight in chapter 13 and chapter 14. Uh, but there are some interesting things. Uh, you'll just notice the uh, kind of track the the hostility, the growing hostility on part of the Jews, dusting off his feet, going turning to the Gentiles, um, the rabble rousers that will chase him from one town to the next, and uh, so in Antioch, and then Lystra and Derby, and the rabble rousers will chase him. That becomes interesting. They get to Derby, and then. More conflict there. Uh, you'll notice in verse 19 of chapter 14, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. And you can imagine, possibly, thinking they were successful, they went back to, to Iconium, they went back to Antioch, bragging about what they did in killing Paul. And so uh, while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. And the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. And uh, anyway, we got the details on this. You can imagine, what, what kind of impact does this have on Timothy? He has to be alive at this point, right? It's, it's, it's only two years later that he joins the missionary team. So he was eight or ten years old. Then he's ten or twelve when he joins Paul. 12 or 14 when he joins Paul. All right. Had to have seen this. All right. Example number six. <clears throat> the uh, Apostles and Elders Conference in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15. The Paul and Barnabas Phoenicia and Samaria tour. The uh, bringing joy. Passing through and bringing joy, we're told. Let's look at Acts 15, 1 through 3. <clears throat> so they're in Antioch. Here's the setting for this. They're in Antioch. Some men came down from Judea. They began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? I just wrote Galatians about this. <laughs> and now they're coming here. This is a huge problem. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So they're going to go up and they're going to have a conference. And they're going to seek the will of the Lord. They're all apostles. They all have equal standing before Jesus Christ. They should be like-minded in what they're preaching. Now, along the way, I like verse 3. <clears throat> Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria. The Phoenician region, the Samarian region, on the way to Jerusalem. And think about how many times Jesus passed through there and he encountered hostility. But now Paul and Barnabas are passing through there and they're preaching. And they're encouraging. They're bringing joy. And it says, uh, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they were bringing great joy to the brethren. And so sometimes, even if you don't have a long-term ministry someplace, you can still, while passing through, deliver a report and bring great joy. 
There's nothing wrong with a joy-bringing ministry. Okay? You might even think of this as a PB&J ministry. Whatever you want to label it. Okay? That's Paul and Barnabas bringing joy. And think about it. We're going to get this in two weeks. Um, we got a missionary report coming up. Uh, Mario Garcia is going to be in town from Nicaragua. And uh, not only is he going to bring joy and report on some great things, but he's also going to uh, speak of a possible Mexico ministry. And uh, if we got people that want to meet him there, he'll, uh, he'll meet us in Mexico City. He'll fly from Nicaragua. We'll fly from Texas. And uh, we'll rendezvous in Mexico City, and then we'll fly to uh, Nayarit. And uh, he's got some ministry lined up with the uh, Alca Indian tribe in uh, western Mexico. <clears throat> so bringing joy and encouragement as we see it happening here. And this chapter also spotlights transitional church leadership. And um, I've mentioned this before, years ago. Um, I've always intended to come back and develop it more fully, and I don't think I have. But when they get together here, notice the term in verse 6, the apostles and the elders. The apostles and the elders. There's a tandem there the apostles and the elders. And I call this the transitional stage of the development of the church. The church has a foundational stage as the foundation is being laid. And that foundational stage is apostles and prophets. Here, though, it's apostles and elders. And then later in the book of Acts, we have elders and deacons. All right? And so... These leadership tandems get adjusted through the book of Acts, through the early years of the church, from the 30s to the 60s, okay? Over that span of time. And so I call it the the foundational stage of of church leadership is apostles and prophets. The transitional stage of church leadership is the apostles and the elders. And then the culminational stage of church leadership is the elders and the deacons. And that's what we're going to have. That's what we see in the, in the prologue to Philippians, uh, writing to the elders and the deacons, or the overseers and the deacons. All right? We have these stages of, of church leadership. And I think it unfolds in a progression. And so it's interesting to spotlight that. Not a lot of detail, but we do notice it. So again, we got a trip from Antioch down to Jerusalem. And uh, whichever route they took, it was a land journey, not a sea journey, uh, because they passed through the territories, excuse me, of uh, Phoenicia and Samaria. All right. Again, this chapter also is useful for us because it is completely ignored in the book of Galatians. And the idea that this chapter would be in Paul's past before he wrote Galatians and not to have mentioned any of that is is just unthinkable. That um, Galatians, we have six chapters of Galatians that betray no awareness of Acts 15. And, And to me it's absolutely conclusive that Galatians was written before Acts 15. All right, example number seven. 
the Paul and Barnabas disagreement. Now Luke does record it, and we already saw it, we looked at it, um, in Acts 15, verses 36 through 39. And that's interesting. Paul's only motivation appears to be, no, he abandoned us, we're not taking him. All right. Uh, you said you were the uh, apostle of grace there, Paul? <laughs> um, really? Seems to me that <clears throat> Barnabas has more grace than Paul in that respect. Um, but again, without all the information, I don't want to be too hard on Paul, and I don't want to be too easy on Barnabas. Um, and not to say that one was right and one was wrong. Uh, the Holy Spirit leads, and it may be that they were both right. Because in Paul's conviction, he didn't want anything more to do with John Mark. And in Barnabas' conviction, yeah, I can work with the kid. Let's uh, let's do this. See, I do find it interesting that in later writings by Paul, by, by Paul, Paul admits that John Mark is a good guy, that that John Mark is useful, and he has positive things to say about John Mark in later epistles. And so when he's mentioned in uh, Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 4, Philemon 24, and uh, 1 Peter 5, 13. John Mark is very useful. John Mark was useful to Paul, useful to Barnabas, and useful to Peter in the writing of 1 Peter. Probably wrote the Gospel of Mark based upon what he learned from Peter. In a lot of respects, I believe... The Gospel of Mark was the the Gospel that Mark wrote because um, that Peter should have written. But Peter was not permitted to write a Gospel. And Paul was not permitted to write a Gospel. So Luke wrote the Gospel Paul should have written. And uh, Mark wrote the Gospel that that Peter could have written, could have wrote. All right. Um, I'm running out of voice, but uh, we'll pick up on this Sunday morning. Here's another map. It's kind of useful showing the split. The red arrow there showing the... the uh, and so you think about it. If there is a split, a church split, if there is a, a disagreement among brothers and the group goes and does whatever, well, may not be a good thing that caused it, but it can work together for good. Jesus can use it. And now there's two ministries instead of one. And clearly that's the case of what happens here. <clears throat> the green line, they go off to Tarsus and they head up through the mountain passes and pick up Timothy. The red line, back to Cyprus again. All right, let's look at these passes, uh, passages and then call it a night. Colossians chapter 4. <clears throat> Keep in mind Colossians is a prison epistle. Written shortly, either before or after Philippians, I think, after. <clears throat> Has a different courier than Philippians. Uh, Tychicus is the courier for Colossians, as well as Philemon and Ephesians. Uh, but Epaphroditus is the courier for Philippians. Which makes sense if one courier is going north, the other courier is going east. Um, in any event. Uh, verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Also, uh, so when was Aristarchus put in prison? 
And where? Did Aristarchus make it all the way to Rome? I can prove to you he got on the boat, but he didn't get off the boat in Rome. So where did he get off? Did he, did he perish in the shipwreck? <clears throat> did he... Uh, and if he didn't get off the boat in Rome, when was he a fellow prisoner with Paul? Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. <coughs> wow. I wish we had a copy of those instructions. <laughs> okay, we don't. But it was sufficient enough, significant enough for Paul to write a letter to the saints at Colossae with instructions about greeting John Mark. Um, you have Philemon next because it's contemporary with Colossians. Philemon 24. Um, back up to verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Well, one was Epaphras in prison. Okay? By the way, he's about to get released. He, he hopes he is. <clears throat> and so he says, prepare me a lodging. Prepare me a lodging. You know, if I ask you to get a room ready for me, how soon do I expect to be there? Fairly soon. You know, given the nature of travel in the ancient world. If Paul is intending to leave Rome and go to Spain... How soon is he going to need a room in Colossae? Not, not soon at all. But here he says, prepare a room for me. For I hope to, through your prayers, I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Hey, Demas has not yet deserted him. This has to be a different imprisonment. All right, now we can look at 2 Timothy 4. Chronologically, 2 Timothy is the last thing Paul writes. He says in verse 9, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. They weren't uh, abandonments, they were just on assignment. Only Luke is with me. So we know who his secretary was for the writing of 2 Timothy. I believe Luke was the amanuensis for 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And the vocabulary in the pastoral epistles is closer to Luke and Acts than anything else Paul ever wrote. <clears throat> Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Isn't that beautiful? That's a nice follow-up to Acts 15 when Paul says, I don't want him with me. Okay? It's a great follow-up. The Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Some other uh, greetings that then finishes out Second Timothy. Finally, the last reference to John Mark is 1 Peter 5.13. really doesn't address uh, Paul's attitude at all, but it does show Mark's usefulness. <clears throat> through Sylvanus, um, had traveled with Paul, leaves Paul, travels with, with Peter, our faithful brother, 
I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying. <clears throat> she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. I believe Peter was in Babylon. He was not in Rome. I know the Catholics make him die in Rome because they need him to be their first pope. Because he's the one that Jesus gives the keys to. <laughs> and says, on this rock I will build my church. And so the whole Roman Catholic mythology puts Peter in Rome. But uh, Paul went to Rome as the apostle of the Gentiles. He went to the, the city of, of, of the, the Gentile capital of the world. Peter was the apostle of the Jews. And he went to Babylon, the largest Jewish population on the earth at that time. All right. So does my son Mark. Just as Paul considered Timothy a son, Peter considered Mark a son. And uh, that's why it's... Uh, the gospel of Mark is really the gospel of Peter through through Mark. All right. Well, um, that's the first missionary journey, the return to Antioch. We'll come back on Sunday and get a look at the second missionary journey. And shrink, shrink, shrink. The other events on the timeline, including the Acts 15 Council, and the return to Antioch. Here is where, after the Jerusalem Council, this timeline puts the confrontation with Peter. And that makes no sense to me at all. Because they hashed it all out in Jerusalem. There's no need to have a, a confrontation with Peter in Antioch. It's also where they have the writing of Galatians. But you'll know what they do say. Date uncertain. All right. And you see the logo there for the writing of Scripture? Well, I stole it. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for your truth. I pray that it would be a blessing and benefit those who have heard it, not uh, impaired too badly by the uh, terrible voice you've given me tonight. Thank you for being faithful. I thank you in Christ's name. Amen.